Welcome, everyone. My name is Christian Root. I am the associate pastor here at the Vineyard. It's so good to be with you all this morning. I'm going to jump right in. We're currently in the middle of a series that we've called Finding Your Voice. And over the course of this series, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking at different terms within this great prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And we've been seeking to, to give life to these words, to, to give a bit of definition and, and life to the, the words we find within this great prayer. And today we're going to be continuing the series by looking at the very last verse in this great prayer. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, this is what we read. And again, this is a prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples when they asked him, Jesus, how do we pray? He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When Jesus was asked by his disciples to pray, Jesus told them that they were to pray, lead us not into temptation. It's the very last thing he left them with. And as commentators have pointed out over the years, this is not a prayer in which we're we're simply asking God to to keep us from temptation as if that was even possible. We're told in the Gospels that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. We're we're not praying here just, just that we would be protected from temptation, but instead we're asking God when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're asking him to deliver us from our temptations, to deliver us from our our evil and sinful desires. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know on the front end. Regardless of where you are at on the spiritual spectrum, regardless of whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus or not, temptation is a part of your life, is it not? And, And I know this because temptation has been a part of the life of every single individual who has ever lived. Temptation exists because within all of us there are there are two different sets of desires which which are often competing with one another. On the one hand, we have a set of desires that that revolve around our ideal self, the the ideal person that we would want to be. And so these desires sound like this, you know, I I really want to be a good father. I want to be a good mother. I want to be kind and loving to my child or to my children. I I really want to work hard in a, a field that is meaningful to me. I really want to be healthy. I I want to make choices that help me to be a physically healthy person. I want to eat better. I I want to take care of myself. I want to get good sleep. I want to be healthy. I want to exercise. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a person that God and that others can trust. That when I I say I'm going to do something, that I I, I do it. That when no one else is watching me, I'm still making choices that honor God. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a good friend. A person that other people can count on. But we also carry around a a second set of desires that revolve around our our cravings in the present moment, do we not? So these desires sound a lot like this. I just really want a cigarette right now, right? I I just really want to get on the internet and look at Facebook, even though there are many more pressing things that that are calling for my attention. I I just really want to eat that third cupcake or that fourth or that fifth cupcake. This bed is just way too warm for me to get out of without hitting snooze five or six or seven times. And so all of us are walking around with essentially these, these two competing selves. There's the self that is focused on the long term, the ideal person that we aspire to be. And then there's the self that, that only cares about the present moment regardless of circumstances or consequences rather. And temptation, of course, arises when the desires that we have for our ideal life conflict with the desires that we have for the present moment. 
And this conflict, this tension plays out in our lives in almost every hour of every single day. We really want to be a loving spouse. We, we really do. That's something that we aspire to. And yet we come home and we find that for the fifth or the sixth or seventh time, our spouse has put their dirty clothes on the floor. And, and we just, I mean, maybe that's not a, an issue with you, but it's just, just want to lose it. It's like we've talked about this, the dirty clothes going the dirty basket. And in that moment, you, you don't really want to be loving. You don't really want to be kind. You don't really want to be patient. You want to throw down. There, there's a desire within us to save money, that, that you want to save up for that down payment for your home, or you want to get rid of the debt that you've been carrying around for a while. You want to put money into retirement, and yet you see your buddy's new truck, and, and all of a sudden, you, your, your car just doesn't feel adequate. You start playing this game of, well, if I trade it in, if I got rid of this, if I put this on Craigslist, could I afford the down payment on whatever new car you want? You know, the reality is that, that many of us here would say, you know, I, I want to pray. I, I want to pray. I, I want to be someone who's connected to Jesus. I, I want to be someone who, who has this intimate relationship with Jesus that I see in other people that inspire me. And yet, when I come home after a 10-hour shift... All I want to do is sit on a couch with a bowl of cereal and just watch a little Netflix before I fall asleep, right? I, I know that's, that's none of you here, but just picture somebody who, who th- this would be their life. I want to pray, but I come home and I'm just tired and the kids just got put down. and All I want to do is just eat some Cap'n Crunch and go to bed, right? We are walking contradictions. Do you know that? We, we are walking contradictions. And these two selves that exist within us, they just, they always seem to be at war. And, and so how can we become people who learn how to conquer temptation? And, and to be more specific, for those of us who are here and say, I am a follower of Jesus. I am trying to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. How can we become people who are increasingly making choices that, that honor God, that glorify him, as opposed to gratifying our, our desires for sinful pleasures and diversions? But this is going to be the focus of our, our time today. And so let's pray, and then we can head into today's scripture. Why don't we pray? God, we, we recognize that, that we, are, we are people who are constantly assaulted by temptation. By the temptations presented to us by the enemy, by the temptations presented to us because of our own evil hearts. And we need your help, God. So I, I pray that through this sermon today, God, that you would give encouragement where it's needed, that you would give conviction where it's needed, God, that you would give hope where it's needed. Help us to be a people who increasingly are honoring you with our, our lives. Help us, God, to, to surrender our, our lives to you and to overcome the temptations in front of us. Please put power on my words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is a verse that... A few months ago, I referenced, but I wanted to, to hit this verse again because I just think that this small, short passage is just really helpful for us as we think through overcoming temptation. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this is what we read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. Amen. Amen. I hear passage like this. I, I just want to be in like a Braveheart movie. I, I don't know. It just fires me up. Now, what does Hebrews 12 has, have to teach us, have to tell us about overcoming temptation? Well, we're told in verse 1 that to, we're told in verse 1 to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. To run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That, that the writer of Hebrews here is giving us a, a metaphor describing what, what our life with Jesus should look like. That it's a, a, a race, it's a pursuit where we press in, where we, where we seek all the energy within us to press in, to pursue Jesus, to run the race that he has called us to run. Now, I, I've only run one race in, in my adult life, and, and it occurred... Uh, when I was in college, I, I decided to run a half marathon, and uh, I, I'm not a, a runner. I, I don't typically do a lot of cardio, but I was in college and, and uh, decided I'm going to run a, run in the Columbus half marathon. And so in, in the weeks leading up to the race, I, I was probably running about five or six miles a day. Half marathon is 13.1 miles. That point one is, is really important, as runners will tell you. And... Uh, I'm running five or six miles a, a day, and the long run I had, the longest run I had leading up to the race was nine miles. And uh, I remember talking to a buddy of mine who, who was a runner, and, and I said to him, you know, I, I've never run more than nine miles in my life, and that I only did once. Do you think I'm going to be able to make it 13 miles? And, and I remember him telling me, Christian, if you can run nine miles when no one is watching you, you're going to be able to run 13 miles when, when other people are watching you run. There's just something that happens to us when we know that we're being watched by other people, isn't there? Whether it be our pride and our, our desire just to, to look good in front of other people, or whether it be the encouragement that we receive when other people are rooting for us and, and cheering us on, there's just a change that happens in us when we know that other people are watching us as we run. This is true as it relates to running an actual marathon, and this is true as it relates to, to running after Jesus in, in our own lives. And so here's, here's my first point. If we want to become people who overcome temptation, we need to ensure that we're fighting our temptation in community, that, that we're allowing other people to watch us run our, our race. And so if there's only one thing that you take away from this sermon, if there's only one thing, I, let, let it be this. I really want you to dial in here. You are in grave danger when you know that you can sin and, and that no one else is going to know about it. When, when you know that you can sin and you're, you're just not going to tell anyone about it, you're just in a dangerous, dangerous place. That's just the reality. And so if you are serious about about overcoming the temptation in your life, overcoming the, the patterns of habitual sin that just seem to crop up and, and pop up and pop up over and over again in your life. Here, here's the first thing that you need to do. You need to approach someone that you trust, another man, another female, and you need to go to them and you need to say, look, this is, this is a reality. This is something I'm struggling with in my life. 
This is just a, a temptation. This is just a sin that I, I just can't seem to get past. Maybe I can make it a week, a month, whatever, but I, I just can't get over this particular sin. And you need to look at them and you need to say, I am committing to you that if I engage in this sin, I am going to let you know about it. And I'm not going to tell you a week after it happened, a month after it happened, or the next time I see you. If I engage in this particular sin, I am going to text you or call you right away and let you know that it happened. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It doesn't have to even be another leader. But, but you, need to, you need to confide in someone that you trust and, and someone that you respect enough that it's going to sting a bit when, when you have to tell them, Right? Uh, like, if, if you're confessing to someone that struggles with the same thing, and it's like, yeah, I messed up again, and they're like, oh, yeah, me too. I, I mean, it, it has to sting. It, it has, to, has to be something that you've got to catch your breath on a little bit. Listen, I, I can't tell you, this is just me um, being honest here, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been protected in a moment of temptation simply because I didn't want to have to tell my accountability partner that I sinned again, Right? Simply because I didn't want to have to pick up the phone or text my buddy Matt. He's uh, planning a church in Cleveland right now. He's one of my closest friends. I didn't want to have to call him and say, look, hey, here's what happened again. And in that moment, whether it was my pride or whether it was just laziness, I didn't want to have to go through the process. In that moment, I was able to, to abstain from sin simply because I didn't want to have to tell him. Now, does this mean that every time you commit a sin, you need to tell a friend? No, because otherwise, you know, you'd, you'd probably be on the phone all day, right? At least I would. I don't have one of those unlimited data plans that could afford that. But there should be key sins, key temptations in your life that you recognize and that you highlight. And you say, you know what, this is just an issue in my life. Based on my past, based on my wiring, based on my my present context, that I, I just know if, if I'm not telling someone when I'm engaging the sin, I, I don't think I'm overcoming it. And, and these are the sins that you need to confess when they can occur. Now, now, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all well and good, Christian, but what if I commit a sin and then I just don't tell the person that I, I've committed to telling? And, and that, that is an option. You, you have that option. To tell someone, hey, if I, if I go down this road, I'm going to let you know, and then you, you just don't tell them. I mean, that, that is something that happens. But, but I, I guess my response would be, at least, at least then you, you kind of know where you're at. I, I mean, at least then, hopefully, the, the hardness of your heart should be more apparent to you. That now I'm in a place where not only am I sinning, but I'm lying about it. And my hope would be that the grace of God would, would arrest you in that moment and that that you would say, you know what, how did I get to this place where I'm not only sinning, but I'm lying about it? I mean, it's just harder to fool yourself when you're going down that road. And so again, you can do that, but, but hopefully the Spirit of God in that moment would wake you up to, to see you're headed for a, a, a pretty, pretty dangerous place. Friends, we, we have to come to our, the place where we just don't trust ourselves anymore, right? Where, where we just don't trust ourselves to make the right decision if, if no one else is, is in on it, if you know that you can keep it in the dark. I, I mean, I would love it if I was so in love with Jesus, if you were so in love with Jesus, that there would just never be a shadow of a doubt that we weren't going to do the right thing, weren't going to honor God, weren't going to do what his word says. But, but I'm not there, and, and my, my bet is that you're not there either, and that we're probably or, or almost certainly not going to be there until Jesus shows up or until we see him face to face in eternity. 
when we know that we can commit a sin and not tell anybody, we are in grave danger. And, and I, I don't think that we're, we're going to see much victory over sin while this remains the case. And, and so if you struggle with lust, if this is an issue for you, and, and you know that you can view anything on the computer and not have to tell anyone, this is a dangerous spice to be in, right? If you've struggled in the past with alcohol and you know that you can, you can get that case of beer, you can get that bottle of wine and you can drink the whole thing and not have to tell anyone, that is a dangerous place to be. If you know that you're at work and you can spend two or three hours just browsing online or getting on YouTube or, or checking out Facebook and that no one's coming into your office to make sure you're actually doing your work, no one's checking your internet history and you know that this is a problem for you, you're in a dangerous place. I don't think that at Friday at 3 o'clock you're going to be able to resist that temptation and 10 minutes is going to turn into 20 and turn into, oh, I guess it's 5 and I can leave. If we want to overcome our temptations, guys, we have to fight them in community. Secondly, we want to overcome our temptation. We need to change our environment. We need to change our environment. Let's look at verse 1 again. Therefore, we're told, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I you to highlight that word perseverance if you've got a Bible that's your own and not borrowing from somebody told in verse 1 to run with perseverance, to run, in other words, for the long haul. We want to run for the long haul. If we want to conquer those things that tempt us for the long haul, we have to understand that, that we can't rely on our own willpower, can we? You know, it's possible to get by on willpower for a day or for a week or for a month, but eventually that, that willpower is, is just going to it's just going to fade away, isn't it? I mean, anybody who's ever made a New Year's resolution knows this. You can make it about halfway through January, and then it's just, it's just done. The percentage of people who commit to a New Year's resolution and see it through for a whole year is, is just incredibly, incredibly small. And so if willpower doesn't work, how can we run the race marked out for us with perseverance? Again, as I just shared, it's, it's by changing our environment. This is how we run with perseverance. Let me offer an example to explain what I mean. Imagine that you were going on a brief vacation for a couple days. You're just going to get away with a few friends. You're going to get a cabin. And before you you head to vacation, you say to yourself, you know what, over the course of this getaway, I I really want to focus on two things. Number one, I want to carve out some time to spend with Jesus, that I want to hang out with my friends and and kick it with them and and enjoy their their company. But, But I also I really want to just get some time away with Jesus. I just need this time to kind of refresh and charge my batteries. And secondly, I just really want to eat healthy over the course of this few-day getaway because I've been eating healthy lately. I've been making better decisions. I've lost a little bit of weight. And I just know every time I get away, it's like I just start eating whatever is in front of me. You know, I get out of my routines. I get out of my rhythms. And it's just like just can't help myself. And so imagine yourself saying to God, okay, so I want to spend time with you. I want to eat healthy. You get to, to the getaway, and on the first day you wake up, and you, you head to the kitchen, and, and one of your friends is making this nice, healthy, really delicious breakfast. They got some eggs going. They got some turkey sausage going. They maybe some, some fruit in a bowl. It's really good, light, healthy. And then after that, you eat breakfast with your friends, and 
you know, there's, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no service out there, there's no TV, and, and your friend says to you, you know, why don't, why don't we just take the next few hours? Why don't we just spend it with Jesus? You know, we can come back, we can hang out in the afternoon, but let's just, let's just take some time. There's some walking trails, there's some benches around. Why, why don't you just head out, grab a cup of coffee, and spend some time with Jesus? And that's how you start your day. Now, uh, imagine with me a second scenario in which same things apply. You, you want to spend time with Jesus. You, you want to eat healthy. You're getting away for a few days. And you wake up that first day, and you sniff the air, and all you smell is carbs. And you head to the kitchen, and there's just cinnamon rolls and danishes and someone frying up some bacon. And you see like a little dingy bowl of fruit that's just the most pathetic-looking like bowl of cantaloupe in, in the world. And you're like, eh, cinnamon roll looks pretty good right now. So you take your cinnamon roll, you head to the living room, and there are your friends, and they're all hanging out, and they're just surrounded by a big screen TV. And they got DVD one already, already in the DVD player. They're already watching their first movie. And they got five others sprawled out on the floor, and it looks like it's just going to be, hey, we're hanging out in our pajamas. We're just going to watch movies all day. Now, you might sit down and you might say, okay, I'm going to enjoy my cinnamon roll, but then for the rest of the day, I'm eating healthy. Yeah, we're getting pizza, and I'm eating healthy, and I'm just going to watch this movie for like 15 minutes or so. But then I'm going to go get away. I'm going to go up to my room. I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. I would be willing to bet in these two scenarios that your chances of pursuing and actually achieving your goals of the trip, of spending time with Jesus, of eating healthy, are going to be astronomically higher in the first scenario than in the second. Am I right? Same person. You have the same amount of willpower, same amount of goals, but you are in two radically different environments. And so your chances of success are going to be radically different. Our great need in overcoming temptation, guys, it's not more willpower. Instead, what we need is to create environments around us in which we're likely to succeed and overcome our temptations. So let me just offer a couple examples here. You might be someone right now who's in a dating relationship. So you got a boyfriend, you got a girlfriend, it's getting pretty serious. You think maybe this is somebody I'm going to marry. And you would say, you know what, God, I, I really want to honor you in this relationship. I, I really want to wait until we're married before, before things get too physical. You know, maybe you'd say in my past, I, I've just done things poorly. And I, I want to honor you, God, in this marriage or in this dating relationship. Now, if you find yourself often in, in scenarios in which it's 11.30 at night and the lights are dimmed and you're sitting on a couch watching a romantic comedy and you got a, maybe a, a glass or two of wine in you, your chances in, in, in those environments of, of abstaining, of, of, of achieving your goal of purity is, is going to be pretty low, right? I mean, if that's just a, a scenario that you're putting yourself in constantly, I, I just know from working with 20-somethings for the last several years that y- your chances of, of actually achieving success there are pretty low. If, if that's the environment that you're just constantly putting yourself, we're alone, it's late at night, mood is right, the lights are dim, like, not, not great success. Or, or, or let me offer a an example from technology. If you've struggled with pornography in the last five years, and you have not given your devices, your phone, your, your laptop, your iPad, to somebody else you trust and said, look, I, I want you to put up restrictions on my phone so I can't download apps, so I, I can't go on restricted sites, and you are the, going to be the only person to have the passcode. If you're, if you're not doing that, you are putting yourself in an environment in which 
you're probably going to fail again, right? And, and I, I say that to you intentionally to discourage you, to, to, to hopefully wake you up that the reality is that it's just going to happen again. You'll make it a week, you'll make it a month, and, and then inevitably you'll fall into the same pattern. Now, now, you might be saying, you know, Christian, that just sounds like a lot of work, man. You mean I have to give my phone to someone else, to my spouse or to my friend, and they have to type in my password every time I want to download an app, every time I want to go on a site that comes up restricted? And yeah, it, it is a lot of work, isn't it? But, but here's the reality, and I want you to hear this. If, if you are unwilling to create environments that make it really hard for you to sin, you're essentially saying, I'm okay if this happens again. I, I mean, that's essentially what you're saying. Even if you would say, no, no, this is the time. I'm going to get over this sin. I'm going I'm to get past this temptation. No, when you don't make it really, really, really hard for you to sin in something really practical like pornography by just not giving yourself access to it on your devices, you're essentially telling yourself, you know what, if I... If I fall again, I'm okay with that because I'm not doing everything in my power to keep myself from this sin. Temptation is not beaten in the moment by mustering up willpower, right? Temptation is beaten when you make wise decisions way before your time of temptation begins. You know, most of us play this game in in which we say, "How, how far am I allowed to go, right? You don't do this explicitly but, but you do this subconsciously in your head. How, how far am I allowed to go? How far am I allowed to go with, with my boyfriend be, before, you know, it's, I've, I've crossed the line? How much can I spend? How much can I go into debt be, before I have a spending problem, right? How, how much entertainment can I watch before I, I'm just someone who, who wastes too much time? And so we, we create this little arbitrary line in our head, and we're constantly trying to kind of like nuzzle up against it without without going over it, right? But I, I, I just think the question, how far am I allowed to go? I, I just think that's the wrong question. I, I think the far better question to ask is, how can I create an environment which will allow me to rely less and less on willpower? How, how can I create an environment, in other words, which will make it harder and harder for me to sin? You know, when, when I was growing up, I, I remember my, my dad would sometimes bring home sweets from from the office, you know, a plate of brownies or a half-eaten cherry pie. And I remember my mom would take these sweets and just throw them away. Like she would literally take them out to the dumpster and throw them in, which to a 10-year-old was the most horrendous thing. It's like, those were brownies, mom. You could have just given them to me. And the reason that she knew, she just had to throw it out immediately because she just knew she would be able to resist those brownies, that pie, the first time, right? The second time. Then the fifth time she went into the kitchen, the tenth time she went into the kitchen, she was going to inevitably fold. And so let me ask you a question. What needs to be thrown out of your life in order for you to create a better environment for yourself? What needs to be be thrown out? You know, verse 1 of of Hebrews 12 says, Throw off everything that hinders. That is anything that is a weight, anything that is holding you down, that is keeping you from pursuing Jesus with everything you have. What are those things that hinder that need to be thrown off? Perhaps you need to create a better environment for yourself by by just distancing yourself from some people in your life, 
Right? You've got some friends from high school. You've got some coworkers you go hang out with after work. And you just know, when I, when I hang around with this group of people, when I hang around with this guy or this girl, I just, it's like I become a different person. It's like I do not like the person that I am when I'm hanging around this group of people. Perhaps you just need to, to create a different environment for yourself by just taking some time away from social media, right? You just know, when I get on Facebook, when I get on Twitter, I just get so riled up by the drama and the antagonistic vitriol I find on these sites. I, I just, I need a change in my environment. This is not good for my soul. And so I just need to take a break. You know, I, recently I, I decided to change my environment by making the choice that when I go home, immediately I take my phone out of my pocket and I put it in the, in the, in the cab cupboard in, in our kitchen. And so first thing I do, I walk in the door, I take out my phone, I put it in the kitchen cupboard. Because I, I just saw this pattern playing out in my life over and over and over again where I, I would come home and inevitably, you know, I'm tired. I've had a long day at work, and I, I want to be present to my wife. I want to be present to my son, and yet that, that phone just kind of creeps out of my pocket and finds its way into my hand, and next thing I know, I'm, like, having half of a conversation with my son and, and you know, checking Twitter or whatever with, with my other percent of my mind, and so I, I just decided, okay, look, I, I don't want to play this game anymore. So first thing I do, it just goes in the, the cupboard. And, and so now my wife knows this. And so when she sees me with my phone out and in the house, you know, on a weeknight, you know, I, I just get that look from her that, you know, if you're married, that kind of like, hey, bud, why you put that phone back? Look. And so invariably, I have some excuse of, oh, I just need to check this. I just need to check that, right? I just need to follow up with this person. But then it needs to go back in the cupboard because I, I want to be present to my wife. I want to be present to my son, that I am not going to have a three-year-old forever. And, and I just know myself that if that thing is not in the, the kitchen cupboard, it's, it's just it's going to eat away at me. I, I love this advice from one pastor I heard. He said, if you want God to do something new in your life, you can't keep doing the same thing. You want God to do something new in your life, you want new freedom, you want new joy, you want, want to be a better husband, better parent, better follower of Jesus, you can't just keep doing the same thing. And some of us have been carrying around the same sins, struggling with the same temptations for years. For years, right? I mean, you have had the, the same hang-ups for years. You have struggled with anger for years. You have struggled with overspending by getting yourself into get debt, getting yourself into trouble for years. And if you want God to do something new in your life, perhaps you need to start doing some new things. Perhaps you need to start taking your, your sin a bit more seriously, your temptation a bit more seriously. Perhaps now is the time where you would say, you know what, I, I need to see a counselor. Like, I've told my wife I'm going to read this book. I told my wife I'm going to talk to this person. I just need to make it happen. I need to start seeing a Christian counselor because I've carried this through my 40s, and I don't want to carry it through my 50s as well. Lastly, and then I'm going to end here, we, we overcome our temptation by turning to Jesus in prayer. 
I, I don't have a lot of time, so let me just go, go through this quickly. This is what we read in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You know, if we want to run our race well, if we want to overcome temptation, we're told we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we fix our eyes on him, not just to to find motivation from his example, but also in order to lean on him in dependence, right? You know, the the impulse for many of us after hearing a sermon like like this is just to go into fix-it mode, right? It's like, okay, how do I have to change my environment? Okay, how how do I get accountability here? And these are good things. It's important to be strategic about the temptations in your life. But if our, our strategy ends there, if that's, that's where our strategy for overcoming temptation ends there, that's, that's really no different than, than what you're going to find on the racks at Barnes & Noble in the self-help section, right? That as followers of Jesus, we, we have to understand that, that, that prayer isn't, isn't an add-on to our strategy of how to overcome temptation, that prayer is central, that prayer is crucial. And, and, and perhaps in the, the past you've prayed against certain temptations, you've prayed against certain habitual hang-ups, and you haven't seen much success. But I, I would argue that, that the reason we don't see a lot of success or we don't see a lot of change when we pray isn't because God isn't able or willing to help you overcome that sin. It's just because we stop praying, right? It's because we, we fail to persevere in our prayer. So I, I just wonder what it would look like if, if some of us just simply sat down this afternoon and wrote down a few bullet points. What are the chief sins in your life? What are, what are the things that seem to continually trip you up? And, and just committed, okay, God, for the next three months, I'm just going to pray over these things on my way to work. I'm going to pray over these things in the shower. I'm going to pray over these things right before bed. I'm going to give you three months of just praying into these things. I'm going to give you six months of praying into these things. What, what, what could happen if, if you said, I'm going to spend a year praying against these chief sins? What, 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 the, what might the Lord do? What might the Lord do in your life? I'm running out of time, so let me just end with this. Pastor Tony Evans uh, shared a story once in which he got onto an elevator, was one of the first ones on, and quickly realized that the elevator was filling up and quickly realized that, that there was just way too many people on this elevator, that it was just sardine time. And so he's up against the back of the elevator. And so sure enough, they're headed up, and the elevator begins to, to blink its lights and shake, and finally the elevator just comes to a screeching halt. So people start panicking, as, as you might imagine. There's some of the people on the, the elevator that just start freaking out, losing it, you know, crying out, what's happening, what's happening? Other people start playing the blame game, right? You know, told you we had too many people on this elevator. Told you we needed to stop putting people on. There was other people who just kind of shrunk into themselves, just kind of disconnected emotionally from everyone else around them, just kind of went to their safe place or whatever. And so Pastor Evans says that in the back, he just calmly kind of shuffled his way around the edge of the elevator and made his way to the front of the elevator. He just calmly picked up the phone. As soon as he picked it up, he was greeted by, by an operator at the other end, and he said, hey, excuse me, uh, our elevator seems to be stuck. She said, oh, okay, let me take a look. Oh, I can reset that for you. She reset it for him. Within a minute, they, they, were, they were back and running again. And, and Pastor Evan said, you know, this is such a, a picture 
of the way that some of us live our lives. We get tripped up by the same stuff over and over again. We get lost in the drama and we get lost in the exhaustion of battling our sin. And so we, some of us start freaking out and some of us start playing the blame game and some of us just disconnect from life and give ourselves to video games or entertainment or whatever. When what is most needed is simply to, to head to the telephone, as it were, to bring our sin before God and to say, God, I, I need your help in this. I don't want to play the blame game anymore. I don't want to blame my sin on other people. I don't want to freak out. I, I don't want to get lost in hopelessness here. I need your help. I need your help. So how do we come overcome our, our temptation? We overcome it by fighting it in community. We overcome it by changing our environment, and we overcome it by turning to Jesus in prayer. Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the worship band back up to that nice, cheery, just kind of feel-good sermon, you know? Here's here's what I want to do. I know we're running short on time, and but I, I don't want us to leave before we have some chance to respond. Because I, I got some specific words from the Lord this morning that I, I really feel like are, are for some of us today um, that I was a bit surprised by. You know, the, the way that we end our time here at the Vineyard is, is we create some space on the back end for some of us to do business with the Lord. And there's a few groups in particular that I feel like the Lord highlighted this morning during our, our staff prayer. And the first group I would love to receive prayer today are those who would say, you know what, I'm aware that I've been struggling with the same thing for a long time, and I feel like the Lord is prompting me to finally do something about it. Like, maybe you've tried to address the sin or the issue in various ways, but perhaps now the Lord is asking you to do something a bit more drastic, to finally get some accountability, to finally change your environment. And if that's the case, if, if you feel like the Lord is asking you to make some changes, then, then we want to pray for you. We, we want to pray that God would give you the courage, that he would give you the resolve to persevere and, and to make the changes that needed to be made. If you want God to do something new in your life, you can't keep doing the same things, right? And, and secondly, I felt like God was saying that for some of us today, what we need most is hope. That, that, that your, your sin, the junk, the brokenness that you carry is known to you and it's known to, to everyone else in your circle of influence. There's no secrets here. And you've been battling this thing for so long that you're, you're, just, you're just tired. And there isn't a lot of hope that, that you're going to get breakthrough. And so if that's where you're at, we, we would love to pray this morning that God would give you fresh hope, that he is a God that can do all things, that he's a God that can break in and change your life. And so if you need hope today, I would love for you to get prayer. And, then, and thirdly, I feel like the Lord was really clear about this this morning during our prayer, that there are some of us here you know, as I talked about fighting our, our, our sin in community, there are some of us here that you've got some stuff in your life. You, you've got some sin, some junk that you've, you've never told anyone about. You've been fighting this. You've been running with this alone for a long time. And, and so I, I'm, I'm just going to ask today that you would give us the, the privilege of, of getting to hear your confession. That there is something powerful that happens 
when we bring our sin into the light, in the presence of, of followers of Jesus, in the presence of our Father. And so if that's where you're at, if, if there's something that, that no one else knows about, maybe your spouse doesn't know about it, maybe your closest friends don't know about it, where you would say, you know what, I don't want, I don't want to live in the dark anymore. I understand that this is wrong, and not only that, I've been lying about it. And we have, we have folks who would love to pray for you, love to extend forgiveness to you as a, as a brother or sister in Christ, and love to see you restored to the Lord. And so why don't we have our prayer team head to the, the sides right now. If you've been trained to pray, you've gone through our prayer ministry class. And you know, this is one of those Sundays, guys, where it's like, I just kind of feel like all of us should be forward, right? Because there's probably no one here that's like, yeah, temptation, I conquered that, you know, back in the 90s. And it's just been really easy since. That all of us have stuff, right? Maybe it's varying degrees, but all of us have stuff. So this is one of those Sundays, I would just assume there's like four people sitting down, right? And it's because they fell asleep or something. And so if there's, if there's not enough people up here to pray for you, keep coming forward. We'll find someone to pray for you. And it's free, and you're still going to get to lunch at the same time, right? And so over the course of this next song, if you need prayer for anything, or if in particular what I just shared resonates with you, we want to pray for you. Want God to do something new in your life. You can't keep doing the same thing, right? Maybe this is the start. Maybe this is a time where you would say, okay, I'm going to go get prayer. So you can start coming forward now. And for the rest of us, let's worship.